Go to Acts 9 tonight, please. Acts 9. The book of Acts is in a, a really exciting book. Uh, I don't know how you look at the book of Acts, but I do. So many things going on. It's a transitional book between the Gospels and the church. The church is just getting started. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Thousands are being saved. Missionaries are being sent all over. Uh, this had never taken place before in the history uh, of man, and yet we see just amazing things taking place in the book of Acts, and um, the Lord is blessing. Uh, again, churches are being started, missionaries are being sent, uh, amazing people are being saved uh, in the book of Acts, and um, I want to look at a, a something tonight, uh, just probably more to make you think a little bit, and maybe... Um, Study it out a little bit more if you want, whatever you want to do. Um, but I've never heard this preached before. Um, so I'm going to give you something to think about. You can gnaw on it, chew on it, and then you can take it from there. How's that? Fair enough? Fair enough. Do whatever you want with it. <clears throat> you, can, you can believe me. You don't. You, what we're going to see what the Bible has to say about this. Acts 9... Um, in Acts, I'm, I'll read that in a minute, but we see here in Acts 8, 9, and 10, um, major people are being saved. Um, in Acts chapter 8, obviously, we have the Ethiopian that comes to Jerusalem, um, and he is from Ethiopia, uh, and of course, uh, the angel of the Lord tells Philip, I want you to go and join yourself to that chariot. And Philip goes, and as he gets to the chariot, he hears that the Ethiopian is reading from the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, and Philip asks a simple question, do you understand what you're reading? And, and the Ethiopian says, how can I accept some man show me or guide me? And so Philip gets up into the chariot and uh, shows him the truth and preaches to him Jesus Christ. And they come to the water, of course the Ethiopian had witnessed probably hundreds and thousands of baptisms in Jerusalem. And so the first words out of his mouth is, hey, here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip, of course, makes the statement in verse 37 of chapter 8, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Uh, tradition says, not the Bible, but tradition says that this Ethiopian left that baptism and that salvation experience and went down to Ethiopia, and literally uh, hundreds of churches were started because of that one man getting saved there in chapter 8 of Acts. It's an amazing story when you think about it. Um, the Ethiopian is a descendant of Ham. We see in uh, chapters uh, 8, 9, and 10... Uh, a descendant from Ham is getting saved. We see in chapter 10, Cornelius is going to get saved. And the same thing happens when uh, the angel of the Lord tells Peter to go and to witness to Cornelius. Cornelius was a devout man. He was a religious man, but he was lost. He wasn't saved. And yet he was searching for the truth. And, of course, God, the Lord, guided uh, the angel of the Lord to Peter. And Peter ends up going and, and witnessing to Cornelius, and Cornelius gets saved, his household gets saved, some of his servants get saved, everybody that was there got saved and baptized as far as we can tell, and of course Cornelius, uh, he was uh, 
somebody of the line of Japheth. And then Paul, the apostle. Well, he wasn't an apostle yet, but he's going to be. And he's not known as Paul yet. He's known as Saul. So I'm going to be referring to him tonight probably mostly as Saul. Um, that is his Hebrew name. Paul is changed in chapter, or Saul is changed in chapter 13 with his Roman name of Paul. And from what I can understand, and I've told our kids in our school this, Saul has a meaning of tall, and Paul means small. And so there's a difference there, but Saul is the Hebrew name, Paul is the Roman name, and so... Um, but he's, obviously, Paul, or Saul, is uh, saved, and he is a descendant, of course, of Shem. So we have the three sons of Noah, uh, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, and of course we know that the Europeans are going to be uh, involved in getting the gospel, and the gospel is just spreading throughout the entire world. It's going down to Ethiopia, it's going up into the, uh, Europe, uh, it's just, and of course it's, it's there, it's here in the Middle East, and uh, again, countless people are going to be saved, and eventually it comes here to our country, and people are still being saved today. Um, there are four things needed for the salvation of a soul. Number one, you need a candidate. You need a lost person, right? Got to have a lost person. Secondly, you got to have the Spirit of God working in a way to uh, convict that individual of their need to be saved, convicting them of their lost condition and convicting them of their, uh, of their need to trust Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit draws uh, that person, that lost person to Christ to be saved. Uh, thirdly, you need the Scriptures. You need the Word of God. Um, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. We're born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And so the Word of God is needed into, for salvation. And then the fourth thing is you need a soul winner. You need somebody to show an individual how to be saved. Amen. Amen. And we see that in all of the examples in the book of Acts. We see those four things. We see the Ethiopian. He was a lost man. He was searching. He was wondering. And Philip is the soul winner, and the Spirit of God is, is moving, and the Word of God is being used, and we see that in Cornelius, and we see that in also uh, in Paul, or Saul. In Acts chapter 9, uh, I'm just going to read a few verses. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Saul was a very devout Pharisee. Saul's father was a Pharisee. Saul, as a, a, young, uh, a young man, went to Jerusalem from where he was born in Tarsus and grew up in Tarsus. Um, he was very much involved in the Jewish religion. Um, and he went to Jerusalem and he sat under Gamaliel, um, that individual that had his own school there in Jerusalem. And that school, Gamaliel himself, trained young men to be rabbis, to be leaders of synagogues. Saul had the privilege of sitting under Gamaliel and learning uh, the amazing things of the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law. Saul became very astute in what he learned. Um, he was extremely fervent 
as a Pharisee. So much so that if anybody went against what he learned, he counted them as an enemy. And Christians were the enemy, according to Saul, what he thought, Christians were the enemy because they were going completely against the law of God. That's what they thought anyway, because they were, they were saying you don't need the law of God in order to be saved. And yet Judaism taught that you needed the law, you needed to keep the commandments, you needed to, to do all of the things that the Mosaic law said in order for you to be saved. And so Paul was very adamant about that. Hey, if you go against the Mosaic law, I'm going to arrest you and I'm going to take you and, and I'll see to it that you die. And he did it. He had his part in many, many deaths. One famous death was Stephen himself. I mean, Saul was probably the one that instigated that whole thing with Stephen. Saul may have been present at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He may have seen it. He may have experienced that. But he didn't believe upon Jesus Christ. Not yet anyway. So he's, he's just breathing out these, these threatenings. And he, he goes to the, to the high priest. And he gets letters to go to Damascus. He had heard that there are some Christians there in Damascus. And he is going to go and he's going to find them. He's going to literally hunt them down and bind them shackle them and take them down to Jerusalem where they can be tried and then possibly even killed. Verse 3, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the man which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we could gather together tonight. It's good to be in church. Thank you, Lord, for just being with us. And thank you, Lord, for the Word of God. What a, what a blessing, what an honor, what a privilege, Lord, to have a copy of your book. Lord, I pray tonight that you'd bless this Bible study. I pray that you'd use it for your honor and for your glory. Lord, lead us to the truth tonight and help us to see some things from your Word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And so on his way to Damascus to arrest these these horrible criminals called, called Christians, um, he meets Jesus Christ. And this is his first encounter that he's ever had with the Lord. And this incredible light, uh, I call it the Shekinah light of God, Jesus is the light of the world, uh, literally just blinded him and, and, and he fell to the earth. He couldn't even look, he couldn't see, and the light was so intense around him, but he heard a voice. And that voice was none other than the voice of Jesus Christ talking with him. Amen. And Saul responds to the voice uh, by saying, who art thou? Lord, it's like, is that you? And then he says, and then Jesus responds and says, I, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Um, and then he says, and he says, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord tells him what to do. So I want you to go into Damascus, and I want you to, you're, you're going to be told exactly what to do there in Damascus. 
Apparently, he was just close to Damascus. He was just outside of the city limits. Damascus is the oldest um, continually occupied city in the world. Damascus, Syria is. Um, Damascus is about 136 miles north of Jerusalem. So Paul is traveling 136 miles just for the cause to find these Christians and arrest them and haul them back 136 miles to Jerusalem. In verse 10 it says, There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and to, uh, to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. I put a little note in that. It says, I put this down. He was in his place ready to serve the Lord. There's a message there too. That Ananias was there ready to serve the Lord when God spoke to him, when the Lord spoke to him, and he responded immediately. The Lord said unto him, Arise, go into the street which, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him that he might receive sight. Did you know I looked this up? Do you know the street called Straight is still in Damascus? Did you know that? How many of you knew that? Maybe a couple of you knew that. You didn't know that. I didn't know it either. I mean, I, I kind of assumed so, but when I looked it up, that street, is, it runs east to west in the city of Damascus. It's, it's called the street, called, it's called Straight Street. Uh, and they, they believe that that is where Saul ended up going uh, to this house uh, of Judas, and that's where Saul met Ananias. And, of course, we'll continue on here and, and see what happened. But... Uh, it's amazing to think about that that place is still there today, after almost 2,000 years. Ananias, in verse 13, he was a little concerned about this visit from the Lord and what the Lord had said to him. And Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. Ananias was one of the ones that was probably going to be arrested by Saul himself and hauled down to Jerusalem for whatever his fate would be. Ananias had heard about this whole thing, and Ananias, hey, listen, if that was you or me, I'd be concerned too. Is this a trick? <laughs> you know, is, is Saul just, uh, Lord, what, what, what's going on here? What, what's happening? I know this guy. I mean, I've heard about this guy. This guy, is, is, this guy Saul, is no good. Uh, he, is, he wants to kill all of us Christians. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That's interesting because that is the order that we see that Paul is going to be involved in. He's going to go to the Gentiles. The Jews have kicked him out of practically every synagogue, and he finally turns and says, That's, I'm going to the Gentiles. And he does. But he still always had a ministry to the Jews. And then, of course, he went in front of kings and Caesars, probably went in front of Nero himself. Nero had uh, Paul, then Paul, beheaded. I uh, threw him into that Mamertine prison, and that's where Paul spent the last, uh, however long it was that he was in prison up to his execution. But Nero hated Christians. It is said that Nero had John the Apostle boiled in oil. 
it is said that Nero used to uh, put um, Christians in oil, or I'm sorry, in a wax or in an oil, and then would hang them in his garden and light them on fire just to light up his garden. I mean, that, that's how wicked this guy was. And yet, Paul, later on, Paul had a, a ministry to go and to witness to the Caesars, the kings, governors, um, Herod, Felix, all of them. And possibly Paul himself literally spent some time talking to Nero himself. Those, those men, those leaders had no excuse when Paul got done with them. They had no excuse whatsoever. If they died and, go to and went to hell, that was their, own, that was, that was their doing. Um, Paul tried to witness to everybody. It didn't matter who they were. But also he went to the children of Israel, according to verse 15. And then the Lord says, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And, and, and I, I'm sure that you have read the New Testament and you know some of the passages. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Philippians, some other places where Paul literally uh, kind of tells us what his sufferings were. In, incredible sufferings that Paul went through. Um, I don't know of a human being alive other than maybe Job and Jesus himself that went through as much suffering as, as Paul went through. We think that we go through sufferings and we go through trials and tribulations and, and most people that are going through any kind of a suffering think that they're the only ones going through the suffering. And nobody else knows what I'm going through. God, you don't seem to care and how come you're allowing me to go through this? But you see what Paul went through and you really understood what some of these early Christians went through, you'd have no reason to complain. To see what Jesus went through for our sins, we would have no reason to complain. Verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Amen. The question tonight in this Bible study that I've been working on for a little while is, is entitled this, When and where was Paul saved? When and where was Paul saved? Now just think about that. I know that you might have a preconceived thought in your mind as to uh, when or where he was saved, but, and most of us do. If we've been in church very long, we, we kind of think, um, I have thought and taught one specific way for a long time. But I want us to look at another passage of Scripture and expand a little bit on this and see where Paul, I believe, really got saved. Go to Acts 22. Acts chapter 22. Now, please don't think that I'm a heretic here tonight. I'm just trying to teach and compare Scripture with Scripture. But I want you to look at Acts chapter 22. Remember, God uses human instruments for the salvation of souls, right? Did throughout the book of Acts. Paul the Apostle was no, or Saul was no exception to this rule. In Acts 22... Paul gave his testimony several times, depending on where he was and what was going on in his life. Here he's at Jerusalem. Um, 
And he gives his testimony here at Jerusalem, and he kind of fills in a few little blanks that's not recorded in Acts chapter 9. That's the great thing about the Bible. You take one passage of Scripture over here, and you read it, and you say, okay. But then you compare another passage of Scripture, and you read some of the, the, the things that, that somebody has said that wasn't in the previous passage of Scripture, or vice versa. You can say, okay, let's put those together and see what we come up with, right? I mean, that's how the Bible works. Um, it, it, it just, it, it's, it's like a, a bunch of puzzle pieces that we can put together, and we can figure out pretty much what's, what's, what's taking place. I'm not going to read the whole testimony because I want us to go over to one verse here in a few minutes, but let me start with verse 10. Acts 22, verse 10. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus, and there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Remember, this is Paul giving his testimony. And when I, call, and when I could not see for the glory of the light, being led by the hand of them, that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. In the same hour I looked up upon him, and he said, The God of our fathers hath chosen thee, that thou shouldest know his will, and see that just one, and shouldest bear the voice, or I'm sorry, hear the voice of his mouth. For thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard. Pay close attention to verse 16. And now, why tarriest thou, arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord? Now, we know that baptism is only, it's only a symbol of what happens at our salvation. Baptism does not wash away sins. Amen? Amen? We know that. That is not what Ananias is talking about here. Baptism is a symbol of what takes place. Baptism is a symbol of Jesus dying for us, being buried for us, and rising again for us. Baptism is also a symbol of what happens with us when we get saved, we go under, our sins are taken on the cross, our sins are buried, and we are risen to a new life in Jesus Christ. Any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. I believe that verse 16 is the key to tell us when Saul was telling us exactly when he was saved. I believe that Paul, or Saul, actually was saved three days after his encounter with the Lord. I know that I have taught and I have thought down through the years that he was saved on the road to Damascus when he simply said the words, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And I've heard, pre I don't know how many preachers I've heard say that. That's when Paul got saved. Well, um, let me say this nicely too. That is a possibility. Okay? However, when you read verse 16 carefully, as Paul is given his own testimony, Ananias is the instrument that God is using to tell Paul what to do. Right. Remember, Jesus told Paul, uh, or Saul, on that road to Damascus, he says, you go into Damascus and it will be told you what to do. Okay. And so, <clears throat> Paul, not nece Paul necessarily was not saved there at that particular point when the light hit him. Right. He went blinded for three days. What did Paul think for the next three days? Mm -hmm. Completely blind. Um, I believe the Lord blinded Paul for one particular reason. 
to take, get everything else out of his thoughts and only think about Jesus Christ, allow the Holy Spirit to work in Paul's heart and soul for three days, giving Paul the opportunity to really think about his salvation, to really think about what he had done up to this point uh, in time when he had Christians crucified and St or crucified, had them uh, killed, Stephen himself, maybe Stephen's own um, martyrdom was still fresh in Paul's mind, but I personally, after looking at this and, and really reading it carefully, I, I believe that, that Paul was saved there in the house of Judas on Straight Street. Amen. When Ananias came to him and said, you know, told him, is it, this, is, this is what we're going to do. You're, you're getting baptized now, but you're going to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Saul now is calling upon the name of the Lord and being baptized and being saved at this particular time. His eyes, the, the scales were removed. Now there was physical scales over his eyes to blind him physically, but he also had spiritual scales over his spiritual eyes blinding him up to this point. That's right. The Holy Spirit comes upon Paul as Ananias laid his hands on him, and the Spirit of God comes upon Paul. Those scales drop, and Saul now could see clearly, not just physically, but he could see clearly spiritually what was going on in his own personal life. Amen. Now he had the ability to really see. Uh, Jesus, we know, even said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A lost person cannot effectively spiritually see anything of God, can't understand the word of God, can't comprehend the things of God until the Holy Spirit comes and abides within that person that is lost. Before you were saved, you didn't understand the Bible. You may have read it, you may have tried to understand it, you may have had somebody try to tell you and try to teach you some things, but you didn't really fully understand it until you got saved. And you ended up with the Holy Spirit abiding with you, teaching you as you read and teaching you as you listen to the Word of God. So, again, I, I really believe that Ananias was used by God greatly, even though he was reluctant at first. Uh, but the Lord calmed his nerves and said, uh, he's a chosen vessel for me and, and he's going to be used greatly. Again, remember that God uses a human instrument to bring somebody to Jesus Christ. Remember that the Word of God is involved in bringing somebody to Jesus Christ. You say, well, when did Paul get the Word of God? Jesus spoke himself to Paul. Isn't Jesus called the Word? Amen. And when, the word of, when Jesus spoke to Saul himself, that was the Word of God penetrating the heart of Saul. The Spirit of God is working upon the heart of Saul for the next three days. And when Ananias comes in and lays his hands on Saul, again, remember, this is a transitional book uh, where the receiving of the Holy Spirit was done in various ways, but this was one of the ways where you'd laid your, an apostle or a servant of God would lay their hands on an individual, and that individual would receive the Holy Spirit. And so Paul receives the Holy Spirit. Paul's scales fall off. He's baptized, he's calling on the name of the Lord. What's he calling on the name of, on the, name of the Lord for? Salvation. Amen. Amen? Salvation. 
So I have to be honest with you, I've changed my position a little bit from Saul getting saved on the road to Damascus where Saul is now saved in Damascus on Straight Street in a house that just, just, uh, Judas owns by the individual of Ananias coming to uh, Saul and um, helping him to receive Jesus Christ and clear, clearing up some things uh, with him. Again, you might, you might say, that's, that's crazy, preacher. I, I still believe he got saved on the road to Damascus. You can, you can take that um, and run with that as, as much as you want. I thought that for years until I just saw this not long ago. And I thought, hmm, I never heard this preached ever in my life. Never heard it taught ever in my Christian life. When and where did Saul or Paul get saved? You ask the average Christian of that, and what's the response going to be? On the road to Damascus. Okay, that's, that's good preaching. Um, but when you ex examine the scriptures a little bit more, you see, eh, did he get saved there? Or did he get saved three days later? So often we have said, well, you know, he got saved there on the road to Damascus, but it took him three days to get baptized. Well, okay, I've heard that, said that, preached that, taught that, but did he really get saved then or did he get saved here and then get baptized right after he got saved here? That's what I believe. That's, that's the position I'm, I take now. I, I just personally believe that. Again, I just wanted to share that with you uh, tonight. Uh, I don't want to bring up all kinds of controversy, and I don't want you to think that I'm a heretic, but I do believe that Scripture always clarifies other things that may not have doubt to, to it, but maybe just a little question mark. You ever see something in the Scriptures where you just had a little question mark? Yeah, yeah. I see them all the time. Another thing that I've been thinking about lately, and I, I just don't know the answer to it, I don't know if anybody knows the answer to it, and I'm asking the Lord to show me if, if it is, what is the heavenly language? What is the language of heaven? Anybody know what the language of heaven is? We, uh, we might think, ah, oh, it must be Hebrew. Well, remember, when Paul was stoned in Acts 14, and he was caught up into paradise, the Bible said he heard unspeakable words that man could not utter. Paul was fluent in Hebrew. Paul was fluent in Latin. He was from Rome. He's a Roman. He was fluent in Greek. And so, in, in Aramaic, because that was the language of the Middle East, he was fluent in at least four languages that I know of, possibly Italian and maybe some others. Um, so if the language of heaven is Hebrew, he should have been able to understand what was being said in heaven, right? But he didn't. He, he came back. He never said another word. Uh, pretty much about it. He didn't say, hey, I heard this and he didn't say that. He said he heard unspeakable words that man could not utter. And so there must be a heavenly language. What that language is, we really don't know. We can't assume. We can't say, well, I think it's Hebrew or I think it's this or I think it's... We, we can't do that. Um, I've heard this down through the years. Well, what was the language that Adam and Eve spoke? Do we really know the language that Adam and Eve spoke? No. Do we know the language that was spoke worldwide prior to the Tower of Babel. I have heard it preached that it was Hebrew. But do we really know? No, we don't really know, do we? If you know, tell me. I don't, we don't see it. It's not written that I know of. It's not written in the Scriptures. 
The heavenly language that Paul heard could have been the same language prior to the Tower of Babel. Amen. Could have been. That's kind of where I lean, but I have no, I have no verse to prove that as far as I, as far as I know. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, things like this you start thinking about at times when you read your Bible and you read certain things and you just kind of wonder, Lord, what is that language? What are we going to be able to... See, when we get to heaven, it's not going to be a big deal because when we get to heaven, we're all going to, we're going to know exactly that language and we're all going to understand one another, uh, whatever it may be. If it's other than English, I'll understand it. I don't, know, I don't know any other language other than English. And I don't know that that well. <laughs> you know that. You've been around here a while. But we're going, to know the, we're going to know the language. And when we get to heaven, we're going to find out what the language. What did Adam and Eve speak? How did they speak? What was the, what was the language? We know that uh, Moses wrote it down in Hebrew because he wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But that doesn't tell us what the language was. It's just it was recorded down in Hebrew as Moses wrote it, as God told him what to write. Because that's the language that, that the Old Testament was written in. Anyway, just, just some things to think about. Or if you come up with uh, scripture on that, we can sit around and, and bounce that off from one another's brains. Uh, but we don't want to be too adamant about certain things if we don't know the answer to it, right? We've got to be careful about that. Sometimes our opinions go above and beyond the scripture. We've got to be careful about that. I've been in discussions with people where their opinions are certain things, and I have my own opinions on, on certain things. But I like to look at the scripture and say, all right, what does the Bible say? What, how, does, how does it read here? Let's, let's read what the Bible says and let's go from there. So let's, we just need to be careful about that. But I personally believe that here, when we're looking at this subject here tonight that we're looking at, uh, compare Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 22, it appears to me that Saul was saved in the house of Judas on Straight Street in Damascus three days after he had his encounter with Jesus Christ. That's the position I take on that. You don't have to, but I'm just telling you what I saw. And going back and forth, I've read this countless times going back and forth, and I'm just convinced of that. Um, but anyway, I just want to share that with you tonight. A little Bible study. We'll get done a little early tonight, spend some time praying, and then you can do whatever you want when you leave here.